The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from history to current affairs and thousands of photos covering the Royal New Zealand Air Force, airlines, general aviation, warbird restorations, air show news, sport aviation, home building, gliding, aviation media and much, much more. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Hi everybody, Andrew Gormley, CEO of Classic Flyers here. If you're interested in classic aviation and you want to get up close and personal to old aircraft and see some of New Zealand's aviation history, come across the Classic Flyers, Jean Batten Drive, Mount Monganui, right on the edge of the airport. You can go for flights in old aeroplanes like Boeing Stearmans and Harvards. There's lots to see. Kids' parties happening here all the time. We have functions and function rooms, business meetings, and a great cafe with excellent coffee. If you'd like to be involved with Classic Flyers, we also have the volunteer groups who do all things from helping out with function work or just on the main hangar floor with visitors and guests or birthday parties, right through to engineers who get involved in restoring some of our wonderful old aircraft assets. Currently at the moment, we've got a Grumman Avenger being restored and a de Havilland single-seat FB5 Vampire. These things are all part of New Zealand's aviation history. It's a great place and it's in a good location. Come and have a visit. Check out the website on www.classicfliersnz.com. The Wings Over New Zealand show would like to acknowledge the great support it's had from Fly DC3. You can fly back in time with Fly DC3 from Ardmore Airport, charter the DC3 Dakota and fly into the past. It's an experience you'll never forget. Fly DC3. Go to www.flydc3.co.nz. Extend it. Hi, this is Peter Johnson from Aerospace Radio Station Extended, and we bring you some of Europe's best guests... He's, he's been something of, of an unsung hero of the American space program outside those who are, have made it their business to become aficionados of it. News. Some people will call you mad. Some people will call you heroes. Uh, uh, and everyone else is probably somewhere in that spectrum. It's uh, it's an amazing project to, to pull together from literally from scratch. And views. You've got to pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and learn from that experience. And that's not an easy thing to do, Peter, learning from your own failure. So why not give us a listen if you want to hear about warbirds, aviation, and the aerospace industry? Come over and give us a visit. Aviation-extended.co.uk And remember, there's no E at the beginning of extended. Extended. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. Back in July 2019, it was suggested by Andrew Gormley of Classic Flyers that it would be worth recording an interview with Andy Higgins, who had been involved in the design work to convert the first DC-3 into a top dresser. 
So I went along to Andy's place with Nigel Godfrey. Andy wasn't well at the time. In fact, he was pretty crook. But it was worth sitting down and recording his memories of those days back in the 1950s, working with James Aviation. He was actually one of the last, if not the last, of that era working at the famous company, James Aviation, who were based at Hamilton Airport. A short few months later, after we recorded this, Andy passed away on the 2nd of January, 2020. Here's Andy's story. Well, it all started off in the middle of 1956. Yep. It was about June, 1956. And Aussie James, it was a claggy day. And Aussie James, all, all the field staff were there, the, the pilots and the drivers. And he got them all together on the tarmac. Oh, bloody great crowd of us. And he said, we've bought a Dakota. And everybody went, huh? <laughs> and um, we're going to convert it into a top dresser. Andy Higgins, you go into the drawing office. And everybody went, huh? A loaded driver into the drawing office. Well, I hadn't told anybody really that um, uh, I was a, a draftsman with the Ministry of Works before I went into the Air Force and I was flying Harvards in the Air Force. I did 160 hours in Harvards and got tossed out. I'm not going to tell you why. Mm -hmm. I will. I'm an RC. RC? The first word Roman. Oh, okay. And when I, we, at, at Wigram, there were three flights, a flight is uh, about 30 people. And in the flight I was in, I was the only one. In the flight behind me, there was no one. In the flight behind that, there were three. That's the chief flying instructor. Got rid of all the Catholics everywhere. Okay. Bad. So I went to the drawing office and um, the other design engineer in there was Chris Christoffels. Heard of him? He was a Dutchman, oh, obviously. <laughs> and he lives at Pleasant Point. Last time I saw him, we got together and had a talk. And soon after I got into the drawing office, he left. I don't know where he went to. I think it might have been down the South Island somewhere. <coughs> uh, he'd have to went down there and it left me doing all the drawings for the conversion. Okay. And I've got a lot of pictures here. All sorts of pictures. That was in the field. Right. It's just testing the hopper for the first time. Right. That was out of the airfield here. So how did you go about um, working out how it was going to work? Well, by the time I got there, the hopper was made and the beams inside the uh, fuselage were in place. Most of the stuff was in place. I just 
because Jim Coulson and Rod Gifford were the two workers on the aircraft and it was done under the guidance of um, John John, 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 John. I had his name before. He was a professor of aeronautics at Purdue University in the United States. Okay. He was a Rhodes Scholar. And <clears throat> Oliver James got him to come out and check all the drawings as we went through. Right. And the amazing thing about it is when all the drawings went down to Air Department for approval, they didn't know how the hell he worked it out. And he, had, he went down there for two days and lectured them on this new method of stress calculation. Okay. John Ballard. And he was a nice little, he was a little wee short guy. Um, but he was Professor of Aeronautics and he was on the space program. Right. Hmm. So... I did all the drawings and um, there were several things and later on it was in two pilot operation and a couple of years later they turned it into single pilot operation. They shifted the um, undercarriage lever so the pilot could get it. Normally that co-pilot operates the undercarriage. Yep. When the design was proven uh, Aussie got more DC-3s, didn't he? And Pardon? Aussie got more DC-3s and converted them, didn't he? A few more. No, he didn't do any more. He didn't? Okay. No, they were, uh, my drawings went up to Hong Kong. And all the other conversions were done in Hong Kong. I think, I'm pretty sure there was about six. Mm, okay. They're right? Yeah, around about that, I think. <coughs> and some of them came back to New Zealand and there were the two models of Dakota, there was a C-47 and there was a DC-3. you know that? Mm, yep. C-47 was a cargo aircraft. Yep. It just had a flat floor, whereas uh, the Dakota, the passenger aircraft only had one single door right. for people to go in and out. But I used to fly second pilot in it. In Dakota, especially when we were up at Ardmore, I'd fly the thing back and land it because I'd done 160 hours in the Air Force yep. on Harvard's T6. Wow. I've got something like 30,000 photos. Wow, really? I've got six of these volumes full, wow. and I haven't finished <laughs> because <laughs> all my earlier camera ones are. 127, the 120, and the 620, the, the next is still in there. I've got to pull them out one at a time. We're here, you do five at a time. Right. Hmm. Wow. But um, <clears throat> the interesting thing was really that the Air Department didn't know anything about the stress method that John Ballard had used. So he had to go down there and lecture them. Two days of lectures. And the main people working on it were Rod Gifford and um, Jim Clawson.
They were the engineers. They were engineers. They weren't licensed aircraft engineers. Okay. I was a licensed engineer. Yep. I only had an airframe license, not an engine. I didn't want an engine. When you were flying as second pilot, what was your role other than the undercarriage? Was there much else you had to do? Land and take off. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Everything from the time we took off at Ardmore to the time we landed and tacked into the hangar at Hamilton. But the only one that let me do it was Peter Anderson. And Peter Anderson was an ex-RAF pilot who had been a pathfinder. We had some pretty famous people hanging around, and Reg Plain was the first pilot. Okay. He was the test pilot then? Hmm? He was test pilot for it? No, he wasn't test pilot. Okay. Um, I think he might have been. He didn't need a test pilot really, because the aircraft had been a, a, um, a proven yep. design. Yeah. But he, he trialled the system? He tried the system. Now when we were doing the aircraft, we had to cut two holes in the bottom of the fuselage. Now the control cables ran right through the middle of it. Right. So we had to take the control cables, you cut the hole and you take the control cables around the side of it. And I think the, I'm, I'm only going by memory, I think the bad design was they made right angle bends, whereas they should have taken it back further and because the controls were as heavy as anything. Okay. Who actually came up with the idea of converting a DC-3? Was that Ozzy's idea? Ozzy James. It was his actual idea. It would be his, yes. Well, somebody might have put a feather on his ear and, <laughs> and said, hey, why are we converted to Dakota? And he went and got the one from the Air Force, EKAZL. Did, did it ever um, have any problems in service, or was it a good design all the way through? Yeah. I mean, the Hopper design. Yeah. Did, did it did it did it hold up well in service? Oh yeah. Yep. Held 5.1 ton. Right. Now, <laughs> the interesting thing was that Ozzy James decided he'd have a go at loading the aircraft and this was a Dardmore. And he, he just see, see the loading device? The Thornycroft loader. Yeah, the Thornycroft's a big chip. Yep. Better one than that. See there's a Thornycroft. Yes, yep. And you put the bucket over the top and pull the lever and the doors open. Well, he pulled the wrong lever and dumped the, the hopper on top of the fuselage. <laughs> and in those days, the aircraft had two holes in the top. I don't know why he had two. And Reg Plain decided that it was his job to fly the aircraft back to Hamilton. And uh, we all sort of in bated breath because the, the, <coughs> the Especially when you're taking off, you've got the elevators working the fuselage, and if it had collapsed, the aircraft would have gone flutter flutter to the ground. But he decided it was good enough to fly back, and uh, we 
did away with the one hole and just had one big hole in the top. Okay. Now the hovermouth, believe it or not, was my design. The hopper outlet. Yep. I'd always had trouble with hopper outlets or phosphate outlets. And I designed and what they did was every aircraft in the country ended up by having them. Okay. And what it was, it was two doors that overlapped. And this one had opened for sewing. And if you wanted to dump, when it got to about there, this one flicked open. Clever arrangement. Yeah. I never got the... You never got the accolades. I never got the, the payments for it. <laughs> <laughs> because I guess I did it in James Aviation's time. <coughs> that was the lever we put inside f to operate the flaps. Oh, yep. But the thing is, everything I read about the Dakota, there was nothing about what James Aviation did to it to convert it. Right. Yeah, well, it's good to get this down now, then, isn't it? Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't know how many years I've got left. <laughs> <coughs> if I had my way, it'd be another 10. Sounds like you're going to need it to finish those photos off. <laughs> 2,000 to do. Yeah. Um, when you joined the Air Force, was that voluntarily or were no, you... CMT. It was CMT. Mm. So I was flying at Tyree. Okay. Were, were you happy to join the Air Force? Were you keen on aviation or...? I was it. I didn't want to go in the Army. <laughs> no way. No way was I going in the Army. And I managed to get into... Probably because I had a good education. Yeah. And um, I did my compulsory training and they wanted volunteers to go on the regular force. And I put my hand up and I got the job. And we went up to Wigram and uh, started flying there, and I did 160 odd hours in total, which is quite a few. Mm, yeah. I could still get in a Harvard and fly it. Yep, I bet, yeah. That's 100 years ago. There's one sitting in Tauranga for you to try. So the Hopper Outlet, yeah, was a, a success story. I think the way they routed the cables was not right. And that's, you know, right angle bends around the hopper hole. They should have taken them back further and... W was there ever any discussion about modifying it later? Not that I know. I was, I was out of it. Yeah. They might have done so. So once that uh, job was done and, uh, and the aircraft was finished, did you go back to the loader driving? No, I, no, no, no. I'd, um, <coughs> I was ready to set an AME license, aircraft maintenance engineer's license. Right. And I was, had to fiddle around with the, the Fletchers they were building. Because um, James Aviation were the first contractors yep. for the Fletcher aircraft. Um, I did a lot of things. I kept getting shifted around to the liberal drives. <laughs> within James? Yeah, within yep. James. 
and then I left and went to Christchurch with the electronic navigation. Okay. Asked it around. Auckland Company. So they ran out of imports because the government extended the import licensing period by six months. And they had to close Christchurch, close Wellington, and retrench in Auckland. So I left them and um, I joined BPO Company. Right. And I was transferred to Whanganui as a rep for Whanganui. And I had five years up there before coming back up here um, to open the, or set up the first manufacturing establishment for aircraft, and that was a Fletcher. I did 72 before they had a merger with um, Air Engine Services, mm -hmm. and I couldn't stand the guy that was going to run it, so I left. I went to Tarapa Engineering as a production manager. Had about five years with them and set up my own business. Okay. Automatic turning and manufacturing. Right. Had 23 automatic lathes. Wow. Little ones. Yep. So that's about it. I don't know that I can say a lot more, but um, unless I go into the basics of the design and that. Well, you might as well. We're recording, so you might as well. Well, the design had virtually been done. Chris Christopher did that. All I did was really put his thoughts down on paper. But nobody in the world had built a hopper that big for an aircraft. No. So it was completely... They had, yes, they had. Well, they had? They had put hoppers in um, Bristol Freighter. Oh, Bristol Freighter, of course. Mm. Yeah. They wheeled the hopper in. Yeah. And dumped it. Right. But no one, converted, no one had converted an aircraft that size into a top receptor. No. It shows you the initiative of Ozzy James. <coughs> Did he ever come up with any schemes like that that didn't work? <laughs> I wouldn't know, really. Because <laughs> he seems to have been quite an entrepreneur that had a lot of good ideas. He was an entrepreneur, right? As a James, he um, had all sorts of ideas. Yeah. When you were loaded driving just before you went into the drawing office, what were you loaded driving with? What sort of aircraft? Evas. Oh, right. Mm. Those are cool aircraft. Very cool aircraft. Did you enjoy the working with the Yeah, I did, yeah. I mean, I had Hobson Choice after I got out of the Air Force. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really tell anybody that I'd done that flying or... <sighs> and everyone was quite surprised. Secret man. There's a photograph here of me with my head down, ass up. Two photographs. So, were you taking these photographs uh, for work, or was that just your own personal just interest? Just for me. Yeah, that's really good. It's good that you did it. I was the only one with a camera. Right. 
and that was on a flight lander. Oh, my Air Force, I don't know where my Air Force photographs are. But they didn't get into here. What were you hoping to um, go on to in the Air Force if you had stayed in? Were you on fighters. Wanted to be vampires and things? Uh, I don't know about, yeah, probably vampires. But I never got a chance. And I was the only one on the course that got an above average flying assessment. Wow. And they still let you, and they still? Still tossed me out. Lack of officer potential covers all whatever you like. Yeah, it was like that back then, wasn't and it? And one was my was, was my religion. Right. I've got <coughs> I haven't got any real regrets. I uh, I've done did reasonably well. So what was the idea behind the clam doors on? The which? What was the idea behind the clam doors on the hopper? Going to two instead of just one? Because I remember you telling me. I got no idea why. Because you made the. Because apparently something to do with the packing. Two inlets. Yeah, but something to do with the packing down of the <coughs> fertilizer and it wouldn't release. It only ended up with one hole. Yes, but when you told me that. Um, the way that the doors originally worked, if it had been sitting there for a while... Oh no, that had nothing to do with that. It wasn't. One open, the other... Yeah, but there was... This is a sewing one. Yeah. And this is a dump one. Mm. It didn't move until the sewing one got about half open. Right. And then did it automatically move yep. after that? I can't find that photograph of me. I'm sure I know the photo you mean though, I've seen it. Here I am. Ah, oh, yep, that's it. That's there. Yep. There's a few of them. Hmm. And all those drawings went up to Hong Kong. Why did they send them up there? Was it cheaper to do, or...? Because the HAEC, Hong Kong Aircraft and Engineering Company, were the only ones that could do the conversion. Were they, was it, they were the only ones that would take the job on? I don't know whether they're the only ones that take their job on. They selected them as the suitable ones to do it. Because I believe that HAEC were a pretty big company. Okay. And for them to do the conversion, it was a piece of cake. Right, gotcha. It was probably too big a job for James Aviation. It was two and a half years. Really? <coughs> I, went to, I went into the drawing office in the middle of 1956 and finished the drawings at the end of 1958. Okay. So after that length of time, it must have been quite a big day to see it actually in action when yes. you first tested it. Tell me about that. We all went around. Uh, the flying tests were done from... The old control tower at the airport. Yep. And I uh, forget the name's guy's name, who was this air traffic controller. Doesn't matter. I don't know whether it's still up the old control tower on the east side of the airfield. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It has gone now. Yeah. What was the donkey's years? 
Hmm? It was there for a few few years after they Do built you remember it. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, been inside it. The offices were made of stainless steel. Yeah. Okay. Stainless right. So they they wouldn't have been affected by corrosion from the uh, from the super. The um, I don't know what happened to those, but they weren't in the aircraft when it was out at Mission Creek. No. Never. They still had, still had the hole in the floor. Yeah. I wonder if they sold them on. Maybe they're still in use somewhere. There's one still flying in um, Iceland doing yeah. top dressing apparently. I've seen videos of it on, online. Oh, that's about all I've got to say really. I did tell you that I did a lot more. I fiddled with the design, I designed that thing. Yep. It was a hopper release. Oh, okay. Yep. Which, for second pilot operation, it was on the starboard side. When it, the aircraft was converted to a single pilot operation, it, it was put alongside the seat. Yep. <coughs> When you're modifying the aircraft like that, do you have to correspond with uh, Douglas in the US to make sure they... No. Um, I don't know. Chris, Chris, Chris Soffles did all the stress calculations and John Ballard added to them. And so once he signed that off, it was it. it's all good? Yep. Now I used to send my drawings up to him on night letter telegram <laughs> and he would put my drawing out to the class. He, he operated a, a, a lecture room and that all, I don't know what they do with it. Modern technology. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how how I sent them not to the telegram. I've got no idea. So, so I, I guess the the loader had to be designed for the aircraft as well. Lisa Lacey did that. Aero machines and engineers. They have a big Thornycroft. Take about six in the cockpit. <laughs> wow. Side by side. Mike Rain did all the driving of that. He wouldn't let me near it. But it was quite a nice machine when it was finished. Did it do it in one load, Andy? Oh yeah. It had a big hopper and um, he's a front-end loader to fill it. Right. So did one of those have to be built for each aircraft as well? Um, yes, and that's two aircraft operating together. I don't know what fuel they had for their DC-3. Now, the field air conversions, were they done at the same time in the same factory, or Sorry, the, the field air conversions? Or were they all done together? No, done afterwards. Done afterwards. James Aviation was done and operating for a while before they did theirs. Okay. Who did the conversions on the load stars? Field air. So they did them themselves. Hmm. 
They were historic days, really. Yeah. We don't have the innovation here now that we used to. Well, the aerial, aerial top dressing is just about gone. Yeah. But uh, <coughs> I think Jamie Aviation started aerial top dressing in 1949. Yeah, he was one of them. Yep. What was it? Tiger moths. Tiger moths. And they, they I was going to get a commercial license. And, uh, and James Aviation had a dual tiger, AJG. And um, Red Plane decided to go and have a look at a strip at Otrahonga, Arthur Cowan's, um, which is on a hill. If you're not flying, if you haven't got flying speed by the time you hit the clip, too bad. <laughs> You've had it there. But thistles had grown up on either side of the strip, really high. Uh, the landing was alright, it was a longer strip, but takeoff, the wind had come up and Red said, well take off across it and get above the, well, they, we didn't quite make the air and plowed into the thistles and turned tail up. I jumped out I'd, and on the way I turned the fuel off and switches off, which is a um, a procedure we all learned in the Air Force and Reg Plane, he was in the back cockpit he'd hit his head on the the, the, the buffer at the front and the aircraft was, I don't know, I haven't got a photograph of it up like that, resting on the fuel tank and we went back and said, what happened to Reg? <laughs> and we, we was just, just slumped in the seat, so we had to get him out of it. But that was the ignominious ride home. Yeah. Uh, I haven't even got those photographs. I didn't take photographs. And they never rebuilt AJG, the aircraft, so I had nothing to fly. And they couldn't let me have a top reserve because they were all about making money. Yep. Anything else I can help you with? Um, what about some of the days where you were flying the beavers? <laughs> uh, Red McNally, who was a chief pilot for James, he always let me use let me fly the beavers home. Okay. And I remember one day I came to the airport and he said, no, not straight ahead, turn left. He said, by God, you did that well. <laughs> oh, yes, I was, I was pretty good at flying. In 160 hours, you must learn something. Yeah. Or you're as thick as a, thick as a brick. <laughs> Did you actually have your wings? No, I never got my wings. So you must have been very close at Hunter. I was very close. Yeah. About three months away, I think. Right. 
But I rang all the guys when I was at Wigram. Um, I was told to get off station, gather up your things and get out, which I did. I couldn't say hooray to anybody. <coughs> I don't know how many years later, Bill Hoffman was the chief pilot for Air New Zealand. I rang him. He was on the same course as I was. I rang him and said, in fact, I sent them all these photographs. Not these, there's a lot of Air Force ones here. Um, and Bill said, what the hell happened to you? No one knew that um, I'd been bummed out. Everyone was saying, where's Annie Higgins? Where's Annie Higgins? He's not there. Crazy. I'd have enjoyed staying on. We had Cors Corsairs and uh, P-40s. What else? Avengers. Vampires. Mozzies. And mosquitoes. Okay. What, what year was it? 54. Okay. Yeah. 53. They were gone by then. There were three or four... Uh, Four mosquitoes at Wigram have been taken out of service and just left to rot. Yeah. But they were, quite frankly, they were bloody good days. And the amazing thing was when I, I came out from Christchurch, because that's my hometown, um, and when I got up here, it was. This is the middle of summer, I'll just wear shorts. And I wore shorts all through the winter and they said, you're mad. <laughs> <laughs> you're mad. It's winter. So was Aussie good to work for? Um, yeah. He'd always come out into the workshop and see how everybody was getting on. Yep. And I... Gave, gave him an earful one day, so something had gone wrong, and uh, he came up, up to me and said, how's it going? <laughs> I told him in no uncertain terms, he never came back again. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I can't say a lot, there's probably a lot of things that I could say, but um, I, I can't remember them. Were you still at James when they converted the uh, first Fletcher to turbine engine? N yes. Do you remember much about that? Were you involved in that? No, Air New Zealand were involved with airframe alterations. Okay. That would have been quite No, was at Air Parts. Oh, right, okay. Air Parts was a New Zealand agent for the Fletcher. Right, gotcha. And uh, Bob Scott was going to fly it. Right. I got photographs of the first Fletcher coming out of the crate and Guy Robertson getting in and flying it. Yep, yep. I've got those photos from Lanate as well. You have got those? Mm. 
really must that must have been quite an exciting time. Yeah. It was only it was only when I started with Andy and I started talking about Fletcher's year stuff years after I was working with him. Oh, we shipped too. We shift, We found out, or I found out, that it was an open, open cockpit. Was the original, yes. not not a closed cockpit. I know. And yeah. It was. Mm. And we, no, it was an open cockpit. Yeah, that's what from your photographs. That's where I found that out. It's yeah. just incredible. Yeah. yeah. And we shipped two aircraft to um, Uruguay. Oh right. That would have been a very unusual trading partner <coughs> yes and then we had john balloon flew two aircrafts up to north america okay two fletchers he encountered headwinds unprecedented headwinds between hawaii and the mainland and he had to throw everything out that he could and when he landed on the beach he <laughs> The motor went fat fat. <laughs> the coast guard came up and formated on him. Wow. How did how did you get the range out of them to, to get that far? Was there an oh, extra tank? We turned the hopper into a fuel tank. Right, of course. But even so it must have been just marginal. <laughs> <laughs> John Balloon ended up as a pilot for NAC. Okay. Dutchman. How many of the people from your days around the time of the DC-3 conversion are still around now? Are there many left or just you? Wow. wow. That's why if you don't get it down on paper now, you're... Mm. It's lost. <coughs> no, just a bucket, you'll get nothing. And I know that everything I read on the internet, nothing about what James Aviation did. No. It's like only, uh, I only learnt recently that um, they had the BD-5 uh, kits coming in, mm. but I didn't realise they were doing all the development here mm. in New Zealand. I, mm. I never knew that. Mm. That's not on the Wikipedia page for BD-5. No. There's no mention mm. of New Zealand. Mm. Stuff like that. It's like... Oh, okay. I can remember when that first came in and the first kits because I sold them when they were out there. Right. It's quite a disaster by the sound of things. The only one that actually became anything of any substance was when they made it a J. Mm. Put a jet in there. Yep. And then they sort of became famous with the James Bond. Yeah. Now there, there's a photo in that, I think it's in your collection, of a Fletcher that's obviously taxied into a building. Yep. What happened there? He only dented the wingtip and put the propeller into the building. What happened was that there were three aircraft on, a, on the grass verge near some huts. <coughs> Wait a minute, I might be able to find it. Here it is. Oh yeah, there it is. Now then normally it would be parked this way and you can see the wingtip caught in the edge of the shed yep. and spun the aircraft round until its nose right. dug into the building. 
So he was too close because he was avoiding the other aeroplanes. He had his head down the cockpit and it didn't have the brakes on. Oh. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Ouch. It's quite a photograph, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> Now, um, there were a couple of Avengers there around the same time. Um, there were a couple of ex-Air Force Avengers at Hamilton at the time that uh, the first Fletcher turned up. Do you remember what they were being used for? Did, did Ozzy have this? <coughs> no, he didn't. James Aviation Hangar was divided into two. Had a fence across the middle and the Avengers were on the other side of it. I don't know whether it was two or three of them. Right. So who owned those? Air Force. Oh, so they were still in the in the hangar? Yeah. I didn't know that. Interesting. So is that the Avengers they were using for the top dress trials no. earlier, or is it different ones? Different one. Okay. And oh, Rod Gifford used to scale the fence and climb it up on these Avengers and salvage and bits we wanted. <laughs> 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 nice. <laughs> so were they non-flying? Were they just... Non-flying, they were yeah. in storage. Yeah, I've got you. Because ah, the last few that they ever used were for drone work. Target work, yeah. Yeah. So uh, the point where uh, air parts and aero engine services merged into New Zealand Aerospace, that's when you got out of the... I got out of it. So you didn't sort of... You weren't there when the air trainers were being built and all no. that? No. So who was the boss that you said you didn't like? Snow Coleman. Okay. I haven't heard of him. Who was he? Two guys set up and services, Snow Coleman and Peter Boyle. <coughs> and then the end, Snow Coleman went to Australia and I think he died there. Mm -hmm. I don't know what happened to Peter Boyle. Because okay. they had the air cruiser over there and they brought it back here and they were going to manufacture them but they never did. Right. So there was ever only the one air cruiser. Yeah. And they developed that, Pat Monk developed that into the air trainer, didn't they? Yeah. Taking ideas. And then, then the Air Force one came second to Is Pat Monk still alive? They were all good days at James Aviation. I enjoyed those days because I ended up by virtually doing everything different. Yeah. If there was something new, I was involved. Yeah. And I had a close liaison with Doug Hull. You got his name on record anyway? No, I haven't come across it. He was James Aviation's chief engineer. He held all the licenses, A, B, C, and D. Wow. We'll probably um, we'll probably leave it there. And, um, but no, thank you very much. This if the information that I've given you is of any help, I'm sure it will be. Yeah, I'm sure it will be. That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.